0: Welcome to this special episode of the AMPS podcast, celebrating the nominees for the 2024 Association of Motion Picture Sound Film Awards. Today I'm joined by the team from Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. That's Chris Munro, production sound mixer, and James Mather, the supervising sound editor. Gentlemen, welcome. Thanks for inviting us. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. So um, first of all, you know, an amazing action adventure that we've got on our hands here. Um, What was the brief you're starting out, Chris?
1: Okay, so the brief, I mean, this is is my third Mission Impossible film. I mean, there's been seven Mission Impossible films and I even did some work on the first one. Um, So the brief kind of changes um, movie by movie, but um, it's always that Tom Cruise would do all his own stunts um, one of the things that we always try to do is to have some kind of dialogue during those stunts. Um, you know, it's part of the way that um, the audience knows this actually Tom Cruise doing that stunt and not um, and not a stunt person. So that's pretty intentional that Tom will always have a bit of dialogue during most of these stunts. So that's that's the kind the, the brief, I guess, is that 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 Tom 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 Cruise will do a lot of stunts. It will eventually be. Put into a film, um, but one of the things that um, Tom always wants is it to sound real, and so you know he he puts a you know a lot of value in original sound. Um, we do lots of things to capture that sound, and we use lots of really quite different technologies to
2: do that.
0: And for you, James, going into post production, so we tend to get a
2: brief. I mean, we're very lucky again. You know, I've done. This will be my fourth film, I think, with Tom and McHugh, and um, the brief is always: uh, it, it there can't be any sci-fi kind of sounds in it. There can't be any; the, the sound has to make the plausibility work as best as possible. It help, it has to help the narrative, the storytelling, and the the immersion of the excitement of of the action scenes. So it's it's all about perspectives. It's all about driving. The motion through, and you know, there's that they have a very specific style, um, which we employ where music and effects hand over to each other, so you don't have them both clashing and vying for the same space. Uh, so the brief is, is uh, it tends to be the same for, for most films, the challenges vary significantly, but the brief is always this needs to be as immersive and as plausible and realistic as possible because all these things are are, are true stunts. they're not CGI visual effects stunts. Um, and so it's our job to really try and uh, you know help that
0: along as best we can. So you mentioned some of the challenges there, and I imagine, you know, a lot of those challenges start in the production sound, you know, with these amazing locations and obviously the stunt sequences themselves.
1: Sure. Well, I think one of the first things to say is that, um, you know, we we actually build a lot of stuff specifically for Mission Impossible. A lot of the technology we use is not generally available everywhere. Um, You know, we we are very fortunate that we have access to, to different technologies And um, one of the technologies that we've used in the last couple of um, um, Mission Impossibles is bone conduction microphones. So it started um, when uh, when I was first asked by Tom to find a way that he could fly a helicopter, be seen to be flying a helicopter without any means of hearing, without any headphones or any microphone. So we needed to be able to see his face completely. He didn't want to have a helmet. He didn't want to have a headset on. We had to find a way that he could actually fly the helicopter himself to do helicopter stunts. So um, I came up with using bone conduction, where we could mold, um, take molds of his in of his ears, and we could actually um, put bone conduction microphones in his ears, which he could hear out of. And also, we would use those as microphones. That gives us a very very clean sound with no background noise. And it also makes it very easy um, for them not to be seen by camera. And if they are slightly seen, they're actually very easy to remove in CGI. So bone conduction has become a big part of Mission Impossible. And it's um, it's something that we use. Um, we use a military version of, of it. And we were very, very fortunate in that um, we've worked alongside the manufacturers um, who allow us to use... Um, um, a lot of beta equipment, a lot of stuff that um, wouldn't normally be available. And it's it, and it's what gives us very clean sound, because part of the thing of the sound on the Mission Impossible isn't necessarily just the sound that ends up in the final mix. I mean A lot of the stuff that I'm responsible for is also communications. So when Tom Cruise is jumping from a helicopter or, or in a parachute – He needs to be able to hear information. He needs to be able to be told from the ground, wind speeds, different things, different safety aspects. Um, And something that probably should be noted is that although Tom Cruise does all these stunts and they are, you know, very dangerous stunts, Tom is also very, very safe. And part of the thing is safety. And one of the key safety aspects is communication. So, so when Tom's doing these stunts, he's able to speak to the camera operators, bearing in mind that sometimes when he's, when he's in, you know, free fall um, um, on a parachute or, or, you know, in the air, the cameras will also be um, alongside him. So he needs to talk to those camera operators. Um, he'll also get information from the ground. He'll be told if he needs to abort, if it's looking dangerous, if he's too close to a mountain, whatever. So all that stuff is just as important as the dialogue we're recording. And as James I think will will agree, the another most important part of this is his breaths. So we pay a lot of intention a lot of attention to getting his breaths during these stunts and just that everything that feels that he's there. Um similarly in the in the car chase sequences, um I think it's worth bearing in mind that we shot most of this film during during the COVID pandemic. And so we had to change the way we did things quite a lot. So for the car chase sequences we used a lot you know we weren't able to go into follow the vehicles, we weren't able to be in the cars, so we used a lot of um you know body worn um recorders. We used um A tens and A twenty um, radio mics which had a recording capability and then I would then collect all of those separate um, SD cards recordings and then put them all together and conform them into one polyfile which would then go to Eddie Hamilton our editor and um, would be the file that he would use so we'd have maybe 10 separate recorders but actually we would deliver them as one polyfile
0: and for you then, James, you know, those challenges of keeping it grounded in the action and keeping it grounded in what happens in production, you know, how do you potentially take that forward?
2: Well, one of the things that we always find ourselves doing is cleaning dialogue that comes from production in order to give us a chance to be able to put things around it that aren't necessarily tied to it. And that's a practice in most, in almost every film that we, we do. And it's commonly used across the board. In In these instances where we've got, there's a scene in the particular uh, example, there's a scene in the alleyway where um Ethan has a fight to, to escape and um he takes on a couple of bad guys and Paris, the assassin. And we we'd we'd kind of gone into gone to town, we'd put in breaths and efforts uh that we had recorded from Tom in previous productions and we laid the whole scene up to give us a really good clean um fight track and it was sterile it didn't have the sweat that you see i mean the way that they now make these with cameras so close in on on the uh, expressions and the faces of, of, of the actors in these scenes you really get to see the strain and the effort and the sinews and so the sound has to marry that so instead of making the tracks as clean as possible we were encouraged by Tom to throw in all the production sand that we had, throw everything in, throw in all the fu- the fight sands, throw in the scuffs of the shoes slipping around on the on the floor on the stone floor and um you know they, they these are the that's the style that he he wants to maintain he's he's worked so hard with Chris on set to ensure that he can be recorded and that they can capture this material that he believes and rightly so that that you need to use as much as possible um because it it's the only way of really conveying the the gritty dirty kind of reality of the soundtrack um and obviously we still augment it with other sound effects that will cut through brighter and harder and we you know that it actually makes more work for us which is always a good thing i think it's always good to get a challenge um and and where we can't use production sound for whatever reason, I, if it really is too loud, too noisy, um, then we have the 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 actor who plays the stunts in the dubbing theater with us, and he'll go and do a performance to recapture. But he always uses the production as a guide for his intensity and for the act, for the for the performance that he wants to recapture. If he has to do something else more often than not, it's usually when there's been a cut in a certain place and the production sound won't work across the cut. So he'll have to do a sound, a sound effect or a breathing track that will give us that transition and keep the momentum going at the same pace. So he's running continuously as opposed to the, the cutting that we get. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's a it's a very, very multi-layered, simple track if that makes sense. There's an awful lot of material in there, but it's there's an awful lot of things describing one very small thing. And the car chase is a good example where the car is electric, so we can't have a motor on it. But we've used electric skateboards, electric scooters, um, anything with a servo engine to try and give us that character of the car, plus the production track that was used of the car when they were driving around. So we've got every element of it. Um, and often you'll find that the the language of the scene is is dictated by the production sound, and so we take that language and we augment it and we enrich it and we make it more punchy on the cuts and we make it more squealy on the on the tire skids. But um, it's it's a very full track when it gets to us when it comes from Eddie, our, our esteemed editor.
0: So this is a franchise that's been running for quite some time, and you've both worked on multiple iterations of it so are there any kind of easter eggs or things that you that you've developed throughout the franchise that you feel really has come to fruition in this particular film
1: we've learned how to work without a script (laughs) 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 we've learned how to make it up as we go along really I suppose but I guess I guess one of the things that we should mention here is that James and I have worked a lot together and, it will, and we've actually just finished the Bob Marley film, also for Paramount. And so, um, Mission Impossible itself is a team effort. It's very much every member of the team—the camera, cameras, directors, ads, everyone—we are very much a team. The way that we make those films, and it's it's just the same for sound department. Um, you know, James and I—you know—we we will talk. Um, before the film even gets into production, way before the film gets into production, Um, when James may not actually be being paid at that stage. You know, he knows he's going to be doing the film. But um, I can think on Bob Marley, for instance, uh, the Bob Marley film, James and I were talking way before we ever went into production so that what we had is we had an understanding of how the film would work, what, what the plan was. And it's much the same with Mission Impossible. The difference with Mission Impossible is because we've done other Mission Impossible films before, we might say, I might say, I'm thinking of doing this just like we did it on the last one. Or more likely, I am thinking. I might say, hey, James, I'm thinking of doing it quite like that this time. I'm thinking of doing it this way. What do you think? And so, um, you know, it's it's really important to understand that um, production and post-production sound are very, very um, united. We, we rely so much on each other. Um, and we and we utilise that that way of working. So there's a shorthand. There's a um, you know the um, um, James fantastic dialogue editors. They will particularly you know Simon Chase for example will know what to expect from me. And he might you, you know call me up at any time and say, Hey, I've got this track here. Just save me some time. You know, how did you do this? Or you know, just ask me a, a question that might save him some time because they'll they'll generally know how I tend to to do things and i'll know what is required of me what they want from me and that's and that's really important part of um uh, of making any film but particularly mission impossible
2: where it's such high pressure and there's also a history that goes from the very first day of you know prep that chris is involved in throughout the, the shoot which can be as he said extensive depending on the state of the world's health but the um But all the events and all the stories that are intertwined with the making of the movie are very, very important to us to give us an indication of where not to go where to what to not what to not think about or what to zone in on because it was something that was causing a lot of dialogue and a lot of conversation on set so all that helps immensely in terms of greasing the wheels of of um creation and 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 not having to go back for them not to have to repeat themselves if they've asked for something to be a certain way on production and then again in the edit they really don't don't want to have to ask again in the dub. So so it's uh I mean I say this to everybody, that the more you can interact with your crew, be it film, sound, whatever, the, the the better the end result will be as a um if you do.
0: So you've mentioned a few memorable moments in the film. Is there any that really stick out to you um as kind of best bits?
1: yeah there's lots of um, bits I guess but and I guess we all know them. I mean you know when Tom Cruise rides a motorbike off the mountain, that's pretty fantastic and uh, you know he you know we we i actually we didn't actually practice that much actually on the mountain. he practiced a lot on his own, but um, I think we, we we shot that pretty quickly up there we saw it several times of course, but and it was quite fantastic for him to 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 go off the you know to go off the mountain um and then, um you know he kind of disappeared from our view. He pulls the parachute and and down he goes that was that's pretty stunning and I think when then when James gets hold of it and his team get hold of it, then what they add to that is amazing I think the the thing that strikes me so much in that sequence is when you have that moment of silence um just um you know just as he's gone and and you know before the shoot opens, there's this kind of moment of silence which is very, very effective um. The the Rome car chase again is pretty amazing. If you know, if you think that there's a lot of dialogue in the film, um, and there's a lot of dialogue during that scene, which is not necessarily scripted, that's just the way that that film works. You know, from Grace and from Ethan within that that film. You know, they've all within that sequence they've got dialogue, um, which we've got to capture, and um, and the way we very much did that is with car mounted cameras with Placed microphones with body-worn recorders, and um, and 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 off they went and did it. Um, um, and often we didn't even know what we were going to get until they came back, and they would, you know, just check and maybe we'd have to reposition mics, so or we'd have to do something slightly differently. But um, there's lots of sequences within the film that I think, um, you know, are memorable, and I guess that's what makes a Mission Impossible film.
2: Yeah, I think with the train for me the train crash scene is um it was certainly the the toughest scene in the movie to to address um and it changed its iterations many times as did the desert storm scene which was at one point nearly half an hour long and by the time we finished it i think it was about seven minutes and so you can't use the same material that you do for a seven minute long storm build uh in a in a 30 minute you have to kind of condense your ingredients it's the same you want the same flavor but you just don't need as many ingredients so you're reinventing as the film is developing and the storylines are enriching you're reinventing an idea that that works and and you know you start with the rome car chase we had uh, a year and a half before we finished the movie so we were able to do quite a lot of work on that um and have quite a lot of fun with it and experiment which you don't normally get on any film. You usually run out of uh, time, um, especially with a film with this many heavyweight action scenes. So we 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 had a lot of time with the Rome car chase. That was fun, but the train section came in quite late, and that was really intense. There was so much going on, and there was so much there was so much input from both Tom and McHugh, and obviously Eddie as well. But there was so much. Um, they wanted so much space in there. They wanted to get the, the feeling of height. They wanted to make sure that you that every, it wasn't just constant sound. I mean, you had something going all the time, whether it was the creaking carriages or the crumbling rubble in the, on the bridge as it was collapsing. The story to, to remind the audience that as the bridge collapsed, the train would continue to fall off in carriages so that this wasn't going to stop. So there's an awful lot of balance in trying to tell those stories. And... And then we had the entity and the entity came into the mix really late. I mean, last like the last 10 days before we finished, I think um, it was a very, very late arrival to the party. So there was a huge amount of work to do with that particular arc um, of sound, sound design as a narrative arc. It became there's a little Easter egg at the end of the movie, at the end of the roller there's a little sound of the uh, entity for those that stay right the way to the bitter end Um, just as a kind of nod to the idea that it it'll be back kind of thing. Um, But we had a, there was a, you know, that it opened the opportunity having a sound to help describe an invisible character really then played into um, moments within the film that, that were visually there represented visually but the sound just really nailed the audience's attention to it so it became a much clearer storyline um than it had been uh you know it was something that music was was going to do and then it felt that I came up with a sound which I played to the guys and they liked it and and it, and it went in um but yeah i think the all the action scenes are fun they're also different like chris says they're also varied in their Texture and the and the sort of dynamic range of very quiet bike falling in the distance to super loud explosive air on the clo- cut to Ethan and we we actually we would we would Tom would be going no 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 it's louder it's louder let me tell you when you when you're falling through the air it's loud and we're like okay what that loud no guys that louder <laughs> what, that loud no loud so Mark just went all right that loud and sort of push the fader to its max. And that was it. Tom was like, yes. And we're all going, that's too loud. That's too loud. And as we know, you know, in a movie, you don't, there's no restriction on volume. You can go as loud as you want. They'll turn it down in the theater, but that's not going to stop me. So we, you know, we were always being pushed in a direction by the guy that was in all these scenes um, to, to make it, to make it, to remind us of what it felt like and sounded like for him on the day. Which is an extraordinary perspective. It's a great optic
0: to have in the room, because of course he's the producer, right? And so he's yeah, he's working throughout the production of the film, all the way through to post and release. It's an amazing yeah. opportunity to have that voice. Isn't it? it is extraordinary, yeah. On that note, you know, it's a team effort and Tom's obviously in the room with you and you've mentioned um, Simon, the dialogue editor. Is there any other members of your teams that you really want to give a shout out to? Yes.
2: Oh, if I may start, if that's okay, Um, I think uh, Jed and Inos, our two sound designers, did an incredible job um and what i love about the way we work at uh, at soundbite is that people we swap the the projects around so people we swap the reels around so everybody has a go at every scene in the film and it doesn't belittle somebody's work it it enhances it with a different perspective with another slightly different creative input so we had simon chase we had uh, our assistant team who are extraordinary at keeping everything flowing coming into us going out to us back to the avid department so xena and lucy and we have somebody who manages this manages the whole operation for us called bronwyn who's great um we have dave who looks after sound effects and foley and they kind of we we now incorporate foley into our soundtrack sound design tracks as opposed to having them as a sort of an extra thing on the, on the side that we'll add if we need to. And usually just for the M&E, it's now very much a part of the way they recorded it um, with Adam Mendes and his team. They, they are very production like sounding Foley and that's their job is to, is to allow production and the sound, our soundtrack to blend together and Foley really do stitch that up nicely. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great team. One hopes that we'll all be together for the next one. Um, And they work tirelessly. They work, they work, they are, they, they know that what they start with, the first iteration of a sequence that they'll get their hands on will probably never look like that. on the finished item, it'll change in so many ways. So to have that um, personal attachment to a, to a scene and to give so much of your creative energy to something that is only temporary takes a certain type of, philosophical Zen <laughs> mindset to, to be able to grasp it with both hands and then let go freely. Um, and they do it remarkably well. And they come up with some incredible uh, moments that we've seen in this movie.
1: Yeah. I think the thing to to bear in mind is that having, you know, shooting this film through, through COVID, we were shooting for almost three years. Um, so that we had a lot of a lot of different people in the team but um you know really big shout out very much for um Freya Clark for Tom Harrison um for uh, Ben Jeffs um Will Towers we had um, so many different teams joining us um we had most importantly we had um we had um, people from different parts of the world as well. We had Luigi Pini, who is a boom operator from Rome, who I've worked with a lot in the past and who joined us for a lot of the film. Um, I'm sure I've forgotten some guys, and my apologies.
2: Sorry, Reverend. It's my sound effect doorbell. It's not actually. <laughs> it's the real thing. <laughs> Did you have Lloyd working with you on this one as well? We had
1: Lloyd Dudley as well, and uh, Lloyd, Lloyd's continuing doing some work on the next one now for us.
2: Yeah, it's a good team great team.
0: Excellent. Well, I think uh, the dog barks kind of tell us that it's time to wrap it up. (laughs) Someone's got to go for their walkies. Uh, Just want to congratulate you both and your entire team on the nominations and wish you the best of luck in the future.
2: Thank you. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks for having us. If you have an idea for a Future Amps podcast or just want to tell us what you want to hear more of, please get in touch. You can
1: reach out to us via email at ampspodcast at gmail.com or via Twitter, which is at ampspodcast. We'd love to hear from you and thanks for listening. Are you looking for more audio-related podcasts? Well, we're a part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to check out the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.